realize Matthew is not where we find uh, the Ten Commandments. We will be reading the, the Tenth Commandment in just a moment. But there is context with this uh, passage from, from Jesus. Uh, it, it seemed to me as I began to, to work through uh, the approach on this commandment about coveting, that that commandment, I think, suffers from uh, maybe a lack of respect by some people. I mean, you know, you, you look at the commandments and, uh, you know, the first four about God himself are so obvious. And then you get into what I think many people think, well, here come the biggies. You got, you got murder, adultery, stealing, and then parents say honoring mother and father, you know, that's right up there, of course, with all those, and we've looked at all of these, and then, then it kind of gets to the end, and I'm afraid in some people's mind it's, it's like it's anticlimactic. What, coveting? You know, what, what, are you even, what are you really even doing when you covet? And isn't that just something we all secretly, secretly do? How, how bad really is that? And I think we will see. And if sometime you do a word study of, of where a covetousness and coveting is in the Scripture, you will see the seriousness of it. This is what God said, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. You shall not covet those things. And we read from Jesus on seemingly a, a totally different subject in Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you uh, help us in this? Never, ever to diminish any portion of your word any part of it that you see fit to preserve for us. 
And certainly, Lord, in these ten commands that you gave to us, for those without Christ, to, to drive them to see their need for Christ and for those in Christ to see the, the beauty of life, of following your ways. But Lord, will you teach us today concerning this, this command that is an attitude that is so inward and therefore likely in most cases so hidden. Will you reveal it to us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in order to, we need to first understand the idea of uh, coveting. And if you're using the outline, you see we begin with that, begin, that coveting begins with dissatisfaction. And I had read to you a moment ago uh, the things that are listed, which, by the way, when it says, uh, you know, it lists certain things, and then it says, or anything that is your neighbor's, <laughs> that's a pretty big list. So if, you know, if you're tempted to say, well, I've never coveted his wife or male servant or female servant or ox or donkey, oh, or anything that is your neighbor. You know, it, it, it covers a multitude. In other words, we ought not to do that. We can't do that. Now, what is coveting? I, I wrote down this definition, and then yesterday, I, as I was working through it, I added to it. Uh, I, I wrote down, coveting is wanting something that rightfully belongs to another. I want to make the simplest definition possible. Wanting something that rightfully belongs to another. And then I added this yesterday. Because God gave it to them and not you. You see? I mean, that's, that's going to be the basis. That's the problem. If somebody else has something, and if we believe everything we have has come from God, then God's the one that chose to give them that. And if he had chosen to give you that, he could have done that. So at the root becomes a, a dissatisfaction. And it's not just a dissatisfaction of things. If indeed everything we have has come from God and there's something that we don't have that our neighbor has, then that dissatisfaction is with God's judgment, isn't it? with his choosing what to give to us and what not to give to us. And so now it, it becomes a, a bigger thing, this dissatisfaction. It's not just about things. Now, why does the commandment speak of such common mundane possessions? And, you know, I'm obviously not including neighbor's wife as a possession in this case, they, he does talk about uh, servants, ox, donkey, and then anything that is your neighbor's, uh, assuming those are possessions. Why such common, mundane possessions?
possessions, do you think? I think there's a couple of reasons. One is because those are within reach of us. And secondly, because the basis of all of those is dissatisfaction. I want what you have. In fact, I want yours. Do you see the two levels of that? I want what you have, and then I want yours. That's the way it's described here in this command. So when we begin comparing our possessions or our situation with, uh, with those around us where it looks like so-and-so has more than me or something better than me, or in this case, a better spouse in your judgment. Do you see the, the dissatisfaction there? But, but what it does is it, it opens us up, not just to, you know, coveting doesn't stop with, with coveting and say, okay, well, I'm, there's just that one sin and I've got to deal with that. It's what I would call, you've heard the term a gateway drug. You take a drug and, you know, it leads to other drugs. This is, I think I I thought, I think I coined this. This is a gateway sin. Coveting is. Because what it does is, you know, first it, it starts here. And then if it's not dealt with, it will lead to breaking the other commands, won't it? Uh, look at what James says. Uh, he, he would agree with this, I think, that coveting is at the root of all other sin. In James 1, verse 14, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay, there's that inward part. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. He's talking about something people can understand, conception and birth and, and, and so on. Uh, that desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. Do you see the gateway part? And sin, I just thought of this. I, gateway has nothing to do with our church up the road uh, that, that's called gateway. I don't know why that came into my mind, but... Uh, Please don't tell them that the pastor was preaching against Gateway. Uh, says, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So here's the flow chart, basically. You've got uh, evil desire, lust, covetous desire. Lust gives birth to sin. You actually act on it. And then sin, if it's not dealt with, leads to death. So when we, uh, some months ago, looked at the first commandment, which is no other gods before the one true God, we said that that is really the base for all the other commandments. That's where you start. Idolatry is at the root of these other uh, sins. 
that are going to follow. So uh, we see that as the beginning. But the last commandment, the one we're dealing with today, gives us an understanding of how we break all the others. It's the preparation for all sin, as James talks about here. So you've got lust and covetous desire. By the way, all you have to do is look back at the parallel in Genesis when sin came into the world. And you see this this precise thing. James didn't just figure this out. This is how sin came into the world. In the garden, what did they have? They saw and they wanted lust. And then he talks about enticement. What did Adam and Eve do? Well, they listened to Satan. They were enticed. They bought into it. They chose. And then it turns into sin. What did they do? They took and they ate of the fruit. And then that leads to death. What happened? Death came into the world. So that's, you know, that's the process, and that's where uh, uh, coveting comes into that. Now, if, if that's at the root, how are we going to fight it? What, what do we do in, in terms, what does the Bible talk about in terms of dealing with a, a covetous heart, which we're going to have naturally, We're going to have eyes that are going to see something and want it. And so, what do we do? How do we combat that? Well, Hebrews 13, verse 5, would tell us that contentment is the guard against covetousness. The key is contentment with what you have, and that doesn't mean that we never make any, any effort to improve or gain something else. That, you know, that, that has nothing to do with, with a covetous heart. Uh, it can, but it's not a sin to seek to improve or even to gain things, to use gifts that uh, you have and use abilities that you have in order to earn a living and, and that kind of a thing. That's not where it becomes a sin. In fact, it's our responsibility to use our abilities and to live uh, fruitfully. But Paul says this in Philippians 4. He says, for I've learned, verse 11, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, and abundance, and need. So how did he get to that point? How did how'd the Apostle Paul get to that point of a, a contentment that gave him a peaceful heart rather than wanting that which belonged to others? Well, in, in terms of uh, where our, our foundation is, uh, we've got to have a right view of possessions, uh, a right view of others, 
for instance, with possessions, Luke 12, 15. He said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. There it is. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus is saying, okay, here's what we, we, we need to understand, and this is going to go against the grain of what the world then was saying and the world now is saying, is that uh, uh, our peace, our satisfaction isn't and can't be about possessions. Or money. And if, if your contentment isn't in money and possessions and you know it, then you won't find yourself in the position to covet other people's possessions and money if you understand that that's not where your contentment will be. So why do they covet? Well, they feel like if they just had a little bit more that it would be enough. I, I still remember reading, and, and I don't even remember what year it is, and it's going to be dated by the amount of money, but, uh, but I'm sure they could uh, do the same thing today. I read an article in USA Today some years ago, and it said that they did a survey of people and said, how much more money uh, do you need in order to have enough? Now, at that time, they, they said, you know, and there was multiple choice, $7,000. Now it's probably, you know, 15000 20000 who knows uh, what the inflation rate would be. But at that time, it was $7,000. Uh, they said, would, then I would have enough. But the interesting thing was the people on all levels said that. That was the most, that was the most popular answer of people at all different levels. In other words, what's enough? A little bit more than I have. If there's peace and contentment in possessions. And Jesus says, forget it. It's not there. You won't find it there. And then there needs to be a, a, a contentment toward neighbors. Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now, if you can genuinely do that, then you won't find yourself coveting your neighbors, their joy, or what brought them joy. In other words, if, if you're, you know, and it works both ways. If you don't covet, then it's easier to rejoice. If you are rejoicing with your neighbor when they have something to rejoice over, then you'll find yourself not as tempted to covet that. And then what we read earlier about treasure. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If we, if we really believe that, I mean down deep, then we wouldn't be coveting that which other people have because we would be saying, you know what, moth and rust is going to destroy what they have too. Ultimately, that's the case. So, 
contentment in ultimately has to be in Christ. Now, I know that's, that, that's a, a preacher thing to say, but that's where Paul was coming from. That's where his contentment came from. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So contentment has to be based on two things. Present life in Christ, future life with Christ. If it's based on any other thing, then you're going to find yourself coveting what other people have. But when we get our satisfaction in Christ and realize that in him we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's where satisfaction comes. And that's what this table needs to remind us of. C.S. Lewis uh, said this. He wrote this in The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. In other words, Lewis is saying, you know, the the problem is not strong desire. He says, we're half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And then I love this illustration. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He says, we are far too easily pleased. You see what he's saying? He's saying, we're like that little kid where you say, I'd like to take you to vacation at the beach. And the little kid in the slum is just saying, no, I'd rather just play here. I'm fine. And he has no concept of what he's being offered. And Lewis is saying, that's where we are too often as believers, far too easily pleased. And that's where the coveting for other things comes about. Because we think if I just had that, if I had $7,000 more or $20,000 more, or if I had uh, uh, that wife or that husband, if I had that house, that boat, that car, that job, and Christ would say, you're, you're way too easily pleased. You've got far more than all that. And that's what this table reminds us of. Coveting our neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is our neighbor's is futile. It's empty and will not satisfy that inward longing. And if if you've got a hole somewhere that is saying, if I just had that, what we've got to realize is that that, wanting that and going for that, is going to lead to a downward spiral, and it won't fill the hole, it will make the hole bigger. 
whereas to be in Christ. This table reminds us, because of what Jesus did, that there is peace with God. And that's what makes all the difference. For all who would covet and run to lesser things, Jesus provided a way to peace with God. Satisfaction in this life and the next. In a few minutes, I'm going to read to you from Isaiah 53. And in that passage, you will hear how the Father is satisfied with the Son. Ultimately, His desire is that we be satisfied in the Son as well. This is what the Apostle Paul said about this table of satisfaction. He said, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself." So here's what the apostle is saying here. He's saying that there's discernment of, of Christ, knowing Christ. And that's what this table is for. It's, it's a family table. Most things we do uh, in the sanctuary here, we, we invite everyone to take part in. We want you to except for this. This is for those who are trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life. If this was a, a magic meal that could make you a Christian, then we would say, everybody, come on. But it's not. It is to nourish those who already know Christ. Now, is there anybody else who shouldn't come because the invitation is wide? Well, yes, if perhaps even today as we talked about coveting, if you, if you say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that. Well, the answer to that is to repent of it, to turn from it and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and then come and be strengthened by the table. But if you're unwilling to, maybe you are in that flow chart. You've started with coveting and you've gone on to lusting. And beyond the lusting, you've, you're acting on 
on some sin. And you hear me say, repent of that, and you say, no, I'm not ready. I won't. I will not. What you're saying is I love that more than I love Christ right now. Just understand that's what you're saying. That sin, that desire, that which I'm coveting is is right now my idol. Well, if you're unwilling to turn from that, then I would say don't take today because you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. What Paul's saying is, in essence, it's making a mockery of this table. This table is to nourish those who find themselves in great need. Yes, I'm tempted. Yes, I've fallen into sin, but yes, I want to turn from that toward Christ. That's how this table will strengthen us. Not because of a little piece of bread and a a little sip of the fruit of the vine, but because of an encounter by faith with the king of the universe. That's what this table is.